You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. I am joined today by Andra Ilya, who is um, somebody who works within a private office or a family office. And we are going to talk today about what a family office is and uh, why they are used. Um, firstly, Andra, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, before we get into the detail of what a family office is, um, perhaps we could start by just getting some information about your background, how you came to be doing what you're doing sure. um, today, and uh, just introduce yourself, uh, yourself to our audience. Of course. Um, so I started my professional journey um, about 10 years ago almost. Um, that was one of the big four. Um, I started in their private client tax team department, and um, it was a very interesting experience. It was, at the time, part of my university degree, so it was effectively like a placement year. Um, And that was the first time when I got to experience working with families, with entrepreneurs, uh, dealing with people of substantial wealth and um, understanding a bit about what it is that they need. Um, one of the funniest stories that I have from that time um, is uh, one of my wealthiest clients, um, for whom we, we were doing all sorts of things from um, the actual tax advice to administering her accounts, looking after her estate. Um, and she rang one day and uh, she said um, that she wanted to speak to the partner in the team because she had a, a, an urgent issue. And so obviously I was taking the message and I said, oh, of course, so what is it that we can help with? And she said, well, uh, I went on a a holiday to the mountains and my my Jeep got stuck. (laughs) Uh, And obviously my my natural answer was, "Um, okay, so, so, so how, can, how can we help? And she said, well, I want you to speak to the name of the partner and ask him to do something. <laughs> so obviously, you know, this was my first year in the industry. Yes. I didn't know very much about things at the time. So obviously I panicked as uh-huh. one does. Um, so long story short, um, the partner in the team, very, very um, calmly, he uh, picked up the phone, called the car company's branch nearest to the remote place where okay. she was. They sent the car. It was all fixed in one hour. Right. Um, so I think that was sort of the first time when I got close to the whole concept of family office mm-hmm. and how do you provide that sort of all-encompassing service for your client. Yeah. Um, so, uh, time moved on and, um, after I finished my university, I went back to the same organization, um, again, looking after private clients, um, anything from sort of like, um, entrepreneurs who were extremely brilliant at their IT software that they were developing, but with very, um, little understanding or tolerance for the field of finance or administration. Uh Um, so again, we, what we used to do for those clients was, um, assist them with their transactions, with the tax structuring, which was the core, but it soon evolved into looking after their families, looking after their estates. Um, and we ended up pretty much being, being there for all of their needs. So we would be the first people that they would call. Um, and I think that was, again, 
probably my second encounter with with the concept of a family office type service. Mm -hmm. So it was it, it was just one of those things where one thing leads to another, and you find yourself being that. I know this is sort of a cliche, but that trusted advisor mm -hmm. to that family. Right. Um, so I've since been looking after the same sorts of families. So um, the, the sort of common denominator is they are cash rich, time poor, they need a lot of assistance with the, their day-to-day -day lives um, so that they can focus on, be it their operating business, being the management of their wealth mm -hmm. or whatever that may be. Um, so I then moved on to um, a hospitality chain so I, I worked in-house for a period of time uh, doing finance and operations. And the funniest thing about that was um, my first project as part of that organization was um, reviewing uh, the, the, the productivity of some of our um, sales of private residences. And the first list that I picked up on my first day in that role was a list of all of the sales of private residences to um, wealthy individuals. So these were all service departments still mm -hmm. handled by that by that chain. And the first name, top of the list, is the name of one of my former clients oh, really? whom I used to uh, call all the time and ask for <laughs> details of that sale. And, you know, that was just something that always amuses me because yeah. it shows you how small the world Absolutely. is. Um, so, yeah, lo long story short, here I am. Um, working for a private office um, and what we do here is um, anything from helping people set up family offices to auditing their existing family offices or outsourcing them mm -hmm. when, when that needs doing. Okay, and your specific role, so your day-to-day -day role, what does that involve? So um, in my day-to-day -day role, I um, help families uh, project manage uh, their affairs, um, it, it varies quite a lot. So, um, for example, for one of my clients, I helped him uh, go through um, a transaction. So he was disposing of one of his businesses. Um, I helped him find the right types of advisors. Um, he was getting married. He wanted a little bit of help in terms of prenups and even finding a wedding planner mm -hmm. so it evolved very quickly so it, it went from being a more of a financial role in helping him with the due diligence yeah. and reviewing his accounts and all of that to um, yes finding him a wedding planner in the Caribbean wow. um, yes so <laughs> you know I don't uh, I don't get bored very easily no. to put it like that and so we're talking about family office today and I guess the easiest place to start is how would you define a family office? What would you say a family office is? Because I know in America it seems to be more of an um, accepted concept. Um, it seems mm -hmm. to have been around for a bit longer. Um, here in the UK, less so. But how would you define what a family office is? I'm very glad you asked that question um, because I get the same question from clients, intermediaries, my mum, my uh -huh. friends. So uh, when I first took on this role, uh, one of my friends, after lengthy explanations on my part, asked me, um, so you basically water people's plants and walk their dogs? <laughs> I was like, well, um, okay, I mean, that is potentially one element of it, but uh, I can see why you think that. Um, so I think in short is, yes, it, it depends a lot. So a family office can mean different things to different people. Um, I think um, the sort of like most 
commonly accepted way of looking at it is um, it's a structure that's created by families who are um, connected through their um, either collective investments or some sort of a, a, a purpose like philanthropy or whatever that may be. It can be inside or outside of their operating business. So most of the times the family offices um, have have come to be to manage the wealth outside of the operating business. Okay. Um, and it's effectively all of the structure around that. Now, I think um, if you look at how it initially came about, um, you can go back almost to uh, as far as the 6th century when you had the king's head stewards, mm -hmm. head stewards. Um, so those stewards um, had all of the duties that perhaps more modern family offices um, take. Mm -hmm. um, going even further back, you know, you can look at the Romans, they had their councils, um, there were responsibilities from things like treasury to military. So um, not too dissimilar to how you have the teams uh, within family offices uh, administered today. Mm -hmm. I think in a more modern sense, um, if you look at families now, um, you have anything from natural family offices. So uh, even people who don't have a family office, they have a family business and um, it will be the matriarch or the patriarch that will take decisions around what's going to happen yeah. with the business, with the wealth, with the succession. Um, so that's what we call natural family offices mm -hmm. uh, to then more advanced types where um, you have a trusted advisor to the family or to the business owner who starts taking on a, a, a more sort of like comprehensive role. So for okay. example, one of my um, Eastern Europeans clients uh, back at my uh, old firm, um, he had this financial director who had been with him since uh, forever. Mm -hmm. So uh, whilst that guy initially helped on the business side, um, it then evolved into him looking after the owner's children, finding them schools, uh, to managing uh, sort of like his investment in properties, mm -hmm. relocation outside of the UK and all sorts of things. So it was all naturally evolving and that's what we sort of call an embedded family office. Now, in the more modern sense of the world, of the word, I think you're, you're right. It, it absolutely came about in the states, um, even though um, there are some nuances of family offices in Europe before uh, the 19th century. Um, however, they were rather simplistic. So, when you look at, through research and through all sorts of um, documentation in this space the first recorded family office is for example the jp morgan one back in the first half of the 19th century mm -hmm. um, and the second sort of like formal one if you want to call it like that is the rockefeller one mm -hmm. that started in the late 19th century and is still going and there's now a multi-family office mm -hmm. um, so I think the, 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 the thing was at the time in the States, I think um, they had a huge increase in wealth. So their top 1% earners, uh, wealthiest individuals, um, in, in, increased their wealth something like eightfold or something like that. So from I think the 1970s to 2015 or thereabouts. There was a statistic that I read recently and it said uh, that the wealth of the top 1% reached over $90 trillion. Wow. So with that, the need for somebody to look after these people mm -hmm. because they were making the money, so yep. somebody had to help administer it. So I think, again, going back to the question, what is a family office? Whilst, yes, it can mean anything from... Um, 
management of the family's wealth and investments to concierge and luxury and, and all of those things, looking after the lifestyle. I think it's generally a structure um, uh, that, that is formed of a team of professionals who look after um, the, yes, the wealth and the wealth structures to um, the tax compliance of the individuals, insurance sometimes, uh, philanthropy, uh, succession planning, family governance, and all of those things. So there is no one answer fits all. Um, so it really will depend on the family. Uh, but I think um, in, in most cases, they will have a few common people um, mainly around the investment side of things mm -hmm. and potentially the estate side of things. So interestingly enough, um, in, in the UK, um, the, initially the concept of family office uh, evolved around that estate planning. Mm -hmm. So whilst in the States it was more around the actual investments and asset management outside of the operating business, mm -hmm. in the UK it was more around managing the estate and the household. Mm -hmm. okay. So it's kind of like reverse. So yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. And late 1990s, you see these family offices starting to develop mm -hmm. in places like Latin America, the Middle East, um, Asia. So now they've become prolific pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, I think sometimes you see them as accidental family offices where people just do them because, you know, they think it's the thing to do. Um, but I do think uh, they are robust structures and I think they will endure Mm. Yeah, completely. And you mentioned um, during the description there around there being multi-family offices and mm -hmm. there's obviously single-family offices. It, it may seem an obvious question, but what, what is the difference between a single family and a, and a multi-family office? Sure. Um, so um, I think initially, so when we were talking about um, a structure, uh, a team looking after the family's wealth um, and accumulated or inherited um, investments. Um, so these initially were um, looking at the wealth of a single family. Now, um, back in the day, a few of the families thought, okay, well, how about we pull our resources and do this together? Because setting up a family office is extremely expensive and running it is, again, very expensive. So when I speak to my clients, a lot of the times the question comes up, is it worth me having it? Mm -hmm. And um, again, the answer is it depends. But the, the, the concept of multifamily offices came about uh, as an idea of, you know, the, the more for one. And you can uh, use that platform for um, looking after a number of families and investing for all the families if you're going to go through those initial setup costs mm -hmm. for those investment platforms and all of that. Um, but I think um, also another answer to that is some single-family offices spotted the opportunity of making their platforms even more lucrative by taking on um, the uh, and managing the wealth of other families. Right. And I think that kind of span out into banks and institutions looking after those platforms and mm -hmm. now offering these services. Yeah. Um, and again, because I love statistics, uh, there was, um, so I think one of the big four did a report um, that said that, for example, just single family offices went from about 1,000 in 2008 to mm -hmm. 10,000 in 2018. Wow. So, yeah, that just kind of, gives an indication mm -hmm. of how quickly they're growing and the need for them. 
But again, you, you have to bear in mind that, I mean, legally, what is a family office? Mm-hmm. Again, it can be a foundation, it can be a company, it can take all sorts of forms. Mm-hmm. So they're very private structures, um, which is why they're, they're preferred by some. So it's really difficult, I think, to get accurate statistics on, yeah. on those. But some of the largest in the world, uh, like the likes of Northern Trust and BNY mm-hmm. Mellon or the HSBC Hong Kong, they, I mean, the, the amounts that they manage, those multifamily offices is just insane. Mm. Um, I think it was the, the richest one last year was about uh, managing over hundred billion dollars. Wow! Yeah, so um, serious money. It is, yeah. Mm. And in terms of the practicalities of decisions being made within, say, a multi-family office, if we look, mm-hmm. look at that as an example, <clears throat> if. If, if, if a single family wants to make an investment decision, presumably they would have a decision-making process set aside within that family to say this is the type of investments that we're looking to make with our wealth. With a multi-family office, when you're trying to manage different families and different um, kind of expectations, how do, how do the practicalities differ in terms of how investment decisions are made? Is it on a sort of a consensus basis? Is it thematic? How, how is it? Yeah, so I think, again, it will depend on the scale of the multifamily office as well, because multifamily offices, you've got the ones who look after two or three families to, again, the likes of the big ones that mm-hmm. are looking after hundreds of families. So I think for the smaller ones, each of the family carries a, a higher um, say in, in how the investment decisions are going to be made as opposed to the larger ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is scope in both situations for the families to have a say in how their money is invested. But again, I think this begs the question then of should you actually have a family office or do you, know, do, do, do you just go and use a bank mm-hmm. or use a, a private wealth manager? Yeah. Um, and I think when you look at it like that, there's obviously a, a number of reasons why you choose to do that. But having your own structure gives you much more flexibility. But then is it, is it worth the cost? Mm. So I think it all comes down to doing that cost benefit analysis and yeah. seeing if it's worthwhile for you. And what I do think, and this is a trend that I've been noticing more and more, is um, there is a big push towards technology. So I think technology is going to change and reshape the way we look at family offices. Um, I've been speaking to um, a number of people recently who have um, developed these really clever bits of software where you effectively as a family can have all of your investments, all of your, the performance of all of your funds and everything alongside your art collection. Mm -hmm. You get instant valuations for them because they feed in through your art advisor and then you've got your car collection and Mm -hmm. then you've got a a small portal where you can put your wills. Um, And I do think we're going to see more and more of this because again, like I was saying, the, the key trait of all of these people is they are cash rich time poor mm. so anything that can make their lives easier yeah. i think is gonna is gonna be a huge mm. bonus and that's a valid point in terms of um why you would utilize a family office as well perhaps over and above private wealth management because mm-hmm. that, that's the space i i work in on a um, on a day-to-day basis and the process is quite admin heavy when you're dealing with individuals and trying to work out individual investment strategies mm. and things. Um, so within the family office, you're almost outsourcing that and you 
you pay for the convenience of having that outsourced, but it does save a lot of time. It gives a lot of autonomy to the people working within the family office to be able to actually go and make decisions without having to ring up and say, yeah. do you want to do this or can you sign that? So I think um, from what I've seen, from my experience and from the clients that I've been working with, one of the main reasons why they choose to set up their own family office is um, because they want integration. So they want to have that one person or maybe one or two people that they go and speak to. And this is actually something we were talking about before the show, weren't we, in terms of um, having that sort of common interface, somebody who knows the ins and outs of your family. Mm -hmm. And whilst, you know, that equally might be perceived as a disadvantage by some other people, because they might say, I actually don't want my whole family history, my whole wealth, everything about my children and my conflicts mm -hmm. and my relationships in the hands of one person. Mm -hmm. I would rather have my lawyer know about my business, you know, my, my accountant know about my... Yeah. And so on and so forth. But I think, again, when it gets to the level where you've got a family with lots of different generations, that problem kind of goes away. So I was speaking actually two days ago to a family office um, where they look after 1,200 family members. Wow. I mean, 1,200 family members. If they were to go and get the advice separately and have different people look after them, yeah. it would just make no sense because mm -hmm. cost-wise, it would obviously be much higher than yeah. having their own structure. Um, Coordination-wise, time-wise, imagine having to explain the same thing, the same story of how the wealth got passed between down through mm -hmm. generations. Yeah. If you've got your own family office, that's already there. Mm -hmm. So even if... 200 of the members are in the UK, another 200 are in the US, and the rest are all over the world. Mm. At least there is that basic knowledge that the family office holds and can coordinate for you. So it saves you, again, we go back to it saves you the time of having mm. to go through that over yeah. and over again. Um, and I think one of the other things, so apart from saving time and saving cost, I think it's a control thing mm -hmm. as well. Um, Again, a lot of these people are entrepreneurs. They are used to taking decisions and being in full control of everything that happens. Mm -hmm. You can do that with your family office. You can't do that if you go to any other institutions. Mm -hmm. um, so that's another thing that I see. And I think probably the other one is privacy. Mm -hmm. Because again, having your own structure, you can decide what's the best one for you. And there is no one solution fits all. So if for you it's a company, for you it's a trust, if for you it's a foundation, whatever it may be, as part of that structure, so be it. Mm -hmm. you, you have full control on how that's going to look like. So nobody can tell you otherwise. Um, so again, I think that's, that's another thing. But interestingly enough, um, when you look at the next generation, another trend that I've been seeing is a lot of the families who've made their wealth generations ago and have been passing it down. So you look at people who are in their ninth, tenth generation, mm -hmm. you get the millennials and you get people sort of like um, in their 30s um, or even in their 40s who are sort of like taking a step back and saying, well, wait a minute, is this actually worth the money? Mm -hmm. Because again, you have to bear in mind, it's it's horses for courses and what works for one family might not work for another. Yeah. Even if they have maybe the level of wealth, 
it might not make sense for them to have it. If mm-hmm. the family is still sort of like they have, they have two generations, they might not need something as complex as somebody else. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, you have um, much smaller families or families with much less wealth uh, who still have the same needs mm-hmm. because they've still made their money. For example, some of them may have inherited a lot of money. We work with... Um, For example, I have a couple of clients who um, came into uh, quite a large amount of money following divorces and all sorts of transitions like that, and they need just as much help. Mm. Um, So again, I think the the, the key here is trying to understand what it is that the clients are trying to achieve, what that wealth means to them, Mm -hmm. and getting to the point where it's it's more of an advantage than a disadvantage and the burden that wealth that they've created. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, touching it with the example of the 1,200 family members, Mm -hmm. the risk management that can be obtained through going through a family office rather than potentially 1,200 individual advisors. And <laughs> it's interesting you say that because actually a new, a new, a newer addition to family offices um, that I've been seeing now, speaking to people and working with a few people recently is around security and reputation management. Right. So, you know, again, how easy is it for somebody to post on Facebook mm-hmm. that they are on a three-week holiday to the Maldives yep. and then uh, be entirely surprised when their house gets burglary yeah. back home? And there's things like that. So I think also the services that family offices are offering now have evolved. And this is the beauty of it, because as a family, you can decide what works for you. So a Latin American family um, would typically have somebody that deals with physical security mm-hmm. because the the kidnapping risk and yeah. all of that is much higher than, for example, um, a, a West European family, um, whereas the West European family might have something with to do with cyber risk because they're more concerned about that aspect. So yeah. you can chop and change, you can tailor make them, and you can assemble these themes of advisors that will then form your family office mm-hmm. as you please. Yeah. This, this is the absolute beauty of it. Of course, assuming that it makes financial sense and you can afford it. Mm. And that, again, looking at the attractiveness of it, by outsourcing, but effectively to your own family office, mm. it makes the um, ability to focus on what they want to focus on all the more um, easy, doesn't it? Because they, yeah. they don't have to be bogged down with having to go and see lots of different advisors from lots of different companies, repeat the same information over and over again to, to yeah. just get to the same point as they would do through the family office. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that the, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think a, a lot of it is the familiarity. So the fact that you're speaking to somebody who knows what you've been going through, who knows, for example, like in, in some of my clients' cases, I know they've been through a divorce. So I'm not going to ask them some of the details around mm-hmm. that because I already know that. Yeah. And if next they want me to figure out where their kids are going to go to school, I can speak to an advisor in that sphere. So my client doesn't even have to uh, know about that. As mm-hmm. in, obviously she will know that I'm doing that, but yeah. I mean, she doesn't, it's up to her if she wants to bring in somebody else or not. Yeah. And some of them do, because like we were saying before, some people just prefer knowing that from a security and, you know, sort of like 
for for their their personal um, I don't know psychological well being. Mm. They want to know. No, actually, I've got different bits of information held by different people. Yeah. But some other people just say, you know, I've got so much on. I don't need to deal with this. Mm. I'd rather everything be in one place. And again, this is where I think technology is going to change a lot of these things because yeah. it's going to take away a lot of that hassle by having it all virtually. Completely. And you mentioned the millennials and, and the, the sort of rising generation. They're used to that technology. That is, it's in most of their yeah. lives, with most of their childhood, it's been kind of yeah. developing. And yeah. with most technology, it tends to be um, the, the best is accessible to the wealthiest initially, and then it filters down to the rest of the market. And I think what we're seeing in, with technology is it's becoming more and more every day in terms mm. of this organization. And I mean, most banks now have the um, ability to show you your budget and expenditure and break that all yes, down and analyze yes. that, whereas that used to be more exclusive um, before. And so that's going to probably change the... Um, needs and demands of particularly those rising gen as to what they're going to be looking for from um, yes. family office. And one area that often comes up, particularly when we're talking about um, rising generation with um, substantial wealth, is to give that wealth more of a purpose rather than to just say invest to grow it. It's yes. to, to actually see that being impactful. And that's again an area where the family office can play a big part, isn't it? Yes. Um, again, I completely agree. And actually, I focus quite a bit on working with the next generation. And it's around the educational sphere. But mm -hmm. also, like you're saying, we're seeing more and more um, concern around giving that wealth a purpose. And if you look at all of the statistics or at everything that you find out there, it talks about impact investing. It talks about, you know, philanthropy with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And it's actually extremely interesting. So I went to um, a conference recently and one of the guys was a seventh generation uh, from a very large sports company. Um, he, uh, he said, you know, I don't really understand what the hype is about impact investing. Mm -hmm. If you want to do something for the good of the community or for whatever cause, just donate it and do not expect a return. Wow. And then we had um, his grandson who had just joined the company who came on stage and said well okay but if I can do well and at the same time get a return why not mm -hmm. and it was really interesting because they got into this whole debate about how again you get into the whole time and money conundrum and how yeah. they're linked because yes you could do one thing on one side like philanthropy and investing on the other side to get your returns. But if you could do them at the same time, of course, assuming you can get the same sort of returns, mm -hmm. why not? Yeah. Um, and I think, I do think this is going to be a, a big, big thing for the next generation. It's already starting. Um, a lot of the uh, smaller players in the industry are, are starting to develop uh, portfolios that are just impact investing. So, um, it was interesting um, hearing one of the big banks uh, do a seminar recently around how they moved from sort of like restricting certain stock that their clients wanted to invest mm -hmm. in. So, you know, I just don't want tobacco in there or I don't want oil in there to now actually I want something um, that does good to I actually want something that improves nutrition in a particular African country. Yeah. Um, so that is definitely the direction of travel. Mm. And I think if you look at the kind of generational makeup, the traditional gener generational makeup of a family business, if you've got a founder 
who is very entrepreneurial, who builds the wealth, who is, um, for want of a better word, working on the business that, and, and creating that wealth um, all the time. And then they want to outsource the management of that wealth. If you then have a second generation who hasn't necessarily got the same entrepreneurial spirit but wants to do something meaningful with the money, the family office is a safer place for that to happen because there are the professional advisors around who are close to the family to be able to say, actually, I'm not sure that's really what we should be doing and I don't think you should be blowing it on X, Y, and Z or three weeks in the wall. It's like example. you're talking about <laughs> my life for the past few years and some of the clients. Um, no, so I think, yes, I, I think the key here is early education. Uh, and this is, again, something that I've been focusing on and trying to do. Um, so we've been helping clients with initiatives such as, um, you know, give your children, um, for example, a thousand pounds per child, uh, let them pick a charity, mm -hmm. but they do their own research. They figure out what it is. Um, some of them actually ended up going to the countries where they were supporting the causes so that it kind of hit home much mm. more than just seeing a video or something like that. And then everybody has to come back, pitch back to the family council and mm -hmm. explain what it is that they did with the money That's and why they think they should be given more. Mm -hmm. And this is great from two perspectives because A, it increases that competitive spirit because they all want to earn the money, the extra money for their charity. Mm -hmm. But it also makes them understand quite how privileged they are and the fact that money doesn't grow on tree. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, their parents or grandparents had to work hard for that money and it's not just something that should be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of um, what they are going to choose as a career, we see more and more of the next gen following a different career path. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's each generation's kind of responsibility to take that entrepreneurial risk almost mm -hmm. and yeah. find their path in life. Mm -hmm. And um, we see um, people who go and work in other family businesses or uh, go and work in professional services mm -hmm. firms and then come back into the family and figure out now actually, you know, that was still what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then you have people who decide, actually, I want to be a painter, I want to be a musician. And obviously, you know, unfortunately, you, you can't tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you can communicate with them, explain what options they've got early on. Because I think a lot of the, the, the issue here is parents didn't use to involve their children in those conversations. So... Mm -hmm. You know, if, for example, you expect your child to come back from school and talk to you about how school went on that day, yeah. well, why would you not do the same to them? Just tell them, okay, mm -hmm. so today I went to the factory that produces shoes and I had this issue with this machine or whatever, to put it really simplistically. Mm -hmm. So you treat them as adults, you get them involved in that sort of business mentality mm -hmm. from early on. And then if they decide they want to do that, fine. If not, uh, unfortunately, you know, what I always say to people is you can lose, you can get your wealth again, but you can't do the same with family. Completely. So, yeah, absolutely. And the, the family office or the wealth within the family also provides the opportunity to help fund projects and, and businesses that the next gen might want to start yeah. up on their own. Um, but again, within an environment where there's um, an element of, risk management, that they're not going to go off and do some random trendy kind of thing that's just 
they know nothing about that there would need to be a proper case put and um, the advisors within the family office can spend their time teaching the um, next gen about what's important there. Which is why I think, again, uh, one of the main things that I focus on is family governance. Mm. Having those sorts of conversations with the family, understanding what is it that they're trying to achieve, what does wealth mean to them? Mm-hmm. Do they want to, you know, if they have an operating business, do they want to be in business together? What do their kids want? You know, are their kids going to get married? What's going to happen then? Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it, it, it is common sense to a lot of people. But the problem is a lot of the time you don't have time to think about those things. And the entrepreneur is going to focus on making widgets. He's not going to focus on, you know, whether his two kids, the two sisters have a good relationship and they're going to want to take over the business because they might not. Mm -hmm. And uh, as painful as it is, sometimes, you know, you might want to bring somebody external or, or not. And sometimes it, it can get to the point where if there's no consensus, and people just don't want to continue a legacy business, mm-hmm. then, you know, as, as heartbreaking as it is, sometimes it might just be the case that they need to part ways and everybody decides what, what they do. Yeah. Um, but I do think a family office as sort of like advanced or as small can help with that. And again, I go back to my whole natural embedded and an actual professional unit with admin staff and professional staff. It really depends on what the family needs. Um, But I do think these structures, similar to the councils back in the day, um, are there to moderate, Mm -hmm. to manage risk, and to provide the guidance and the platform for the family to communicate and take the best decisions going forward. Fantastic. Um, we've been talking a lot about wealth management and um, obviously the, the examples are of people who have um, substantial wealth. Is there a minimum level of wealth either needed or to make it beneficial mm. to access a, a family office? I mean, we're not talking about um, insignificant sums of money, no. are we, in terms of, of what we're dealing with? Yeah, so I think... Um Again, depending on the type of family office that you're going to have, um, the costs can vary. However, even if you think about having a few full-time people looking after things, uh, it's going to be costly. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you bring in the investment element and the investment platforms and all of the costs associated, it becomes really substantial. Um, So again, opinions are split, but I would say probably around 300 million. Um, I think... Below that, there are still family offices worth below that, and I'm talking sterling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say it's probably uh, more um, cost-effective to outsource mm-hmm. or to uh, go with a multifamily office. Um, because again, you know, it, it, the affairs of the family need to be quite complex and um, similar to what we used to do at the big four place that I used to work, we looked after the family and we pretty much acted as a family office for, mm-hmm. for that family. Right. And the lady didn't need to have her own. Um, she could well afford it, but the idea was 
the way her wealth was structured. She didn't need to. Mm -hmm. So it made a lot of sense for her to use us to do all of the household management, all of her staff management. Um, she had her investment bankers who looked after the investments. Uh, she had no operating business. Mm -hmm. So everything, it was inherited wealth. Right. So in that situation, you know, obviously it depends. But um, I would say it, it really needs to make sense. And I think it has to be substantial wealth. Mm -hmm. And um, interestingly enough, I think about 30 years ago, the amount used to be half right, okay. for, for people to set it up. And mm. um, one of my clients, uh, again, uh, back in my old role, um, I remember he first asked me, he's like, so, Andra, what, what's a family office? So I go on and explain, obviously without the long history yeah. that I've just <laughs> given you. Um, and uh, I was like, well, why, why are you asking? Because he wasn't that he was wealthy but his wealth wasn't quite as significant and he said yeah I think I'm gonna get one <laughs> and my answer was okay well well why why do you want to get one? Oh, one of my friends just got one so I just really want one um but it's that sort of mentality you yeah. have some of these people who um you know this guy was had made his money in the media all of his friends were in the media mm -hmm. So we had a gr group of friends who were all sort of like the same levels of wealth, um, frequenting the same sorts of circles. So, yeah. you know, if one of them gets it, I would like one. Yeah. And this is for us, that's the worst fear because you end up with those accidental family office that they don't really understand or need. Mm. Um, and then it's, it's just a complete nightmare trying yeah. to unwind them. But it makes and, everyone's life harder, doesn't yeah. it? Because it's it, the cost are disproportionate to the benefit and then there's much more It's just more a waste of money. On, Why it, am I doing this? Exactly. And, and sometimes people just don't need it. Sometimes, you know, depending on what it is that you're trying to achieve, sometimes all you need is a good advisor who can project manage what you need mm -hmm. and find you the right people, assemble that right team of advisors that is project managed by one person or, you know, depending on what the client wants. Mm -hmm. But sometimes that suffices. Sometimes you don't need a family office. Yep. Fantastic. Which is probably not the best thing for me to say, but, you know. <laughs> no, but you, you're right. There are... Um, there's a level at which point it become it makes much more sense to, to start looking at family office, but particularly on a, on a single side. Um, up until that point, there's an argument to say multi-family because you've got the economies of scale that can come through pooling your money um, or pooling your wealth with, with other families. Mm -hmm. um, but there's no point in somebody listening to this, um, for example, who may have sold their business for five million quid thinking, I'm going to go and set up my own private office because... <clears throat> The, the benefits of doing so are probably not going to be um, outweighed by. Exactly. And if all that I achieve with this conversation is to stop that person yeah. from going and setting up their family office, then consider myself happy. <laughs> Excellent. We, we've talked um, throughout the um, uh, chat around some of the functions that exist within the family office. Um, I think what, what would be really useful for, for the audience who perhaps aren't a, as aware of what family offices um, do as, as they might like to be, it is to almost with not so much a real life case study because we've also got to protect people's identities and what have you, but to, to give them an understanding of the functions that operate within the family office and the mechanisms through which that happened. Because you mentioned about looking for schools. I'm guessing you're not going around the schools individually sure. to find them. Yeah. Yeah. You're not doing the wedding planning for somebody. Um, and so it's, mm -hmm. it's the coordination and, like you say, project management. Yes. 
perhaps a bit more on that side. Sure. Um, so um, it varies and it depends from family to family, but I think um, to use the family that um, I mentioned with the 1200 members, um, for example, they have their own family office and what they do, they have um, a tax department in-house. So the tax department has a corporate and the personal tax team. The personal tax team would look after the compliance for all of the individuals, mm -hmm. um, all of their transactions, be it when they acquire property or whatever assets it might be. The corporate side looks after the entrepreneurs in the family and their businesses. Mm -hmm. um, they also have a small legal department. Again, they have anything from family lawyers to corporate lawyers in there, uh, looking after you know the, the, the bread and butter sort of like uh, prenuptial mm -hmm. planning and uh, wills and everything around the inheritance side of things. To um, the corporate ones again who assist on the transactions. Um, so these are the, the, the core individuals. Now they also have a couple of people who look after a concierge lifestyle. So whenever the family travels they would organize luxury experiential travel. Um, for example uh, one of the, the, the children wanted to play tennis with one of the really famous people. Okay. So what they had to do is they had to go to somebody who had access to that particular player and get them for that family's children. Um, so they tend to have a few people like that in-house or sometimes not. Sometimes it would be uh, some of the uh, admin staff who would outsource that and use concierge and travel advisors and all of that. Um, they have an insurance person as well, looking after the businesses as well as the personal side of things. Mm -hmm. So uh, all of the life insurances for the individuals um, and, and all of that side of things. Um, the other things that you have is you, depending on the size, again, you, you could have somebody looking after succession planning, mm -hmm. which again is something that I'm doing here um, and that is around talking to the family members and understanding um, the phases that they're at, um, what is it that they're trying to achieve, mm -hmm. you know, have they had those conversations with their children, with the next generation, what's going to happen, you know this <laughs> too well, yeah. I know this has been discussed <laughs> over and over again so I'm not going to um, talk about it too much. Um, and education of next gen. So um, I was pleasantly surprised that um, this particular family office, um, they had separate people dealing with each because, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, uh, out of the 1,200 people, a lot yeah. of them um, are in need of, of that service. Yeah. Um, so they have one person who effectively desi designs these um programs almost so these little seminars little chats they've set up a group for all of the next gen within the family throughout the globe who don't even know each other wow. they set up a whatsapp group Fantastic. for everybody to speak and they meet once a year so the whole sort of like um cohort of yeah. people um, meets once a year. Um, in a big hotel, I'm assuming. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. At least 1,200 rooms. At one of these states, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> but, uh, yes, yeah, so um, it's, um, and obviously they'll have the investment function as well. Um, but, um, again, yes, um, I do think 
interestingly enough, they were also telling me how they are going to start outsourcing some of the functions because, okay. um, for example, on the insurance side of things, they were saying, well, you know, it, it makes no sense for us to have a person in-house mm -hmm. when we could just access these services. And again, it becomes a cost-benefit analysis, whereas before it made sense to have that. Yeah. If now these services are so much easier to access externally, why wouldn't you? Absolutely. Things like payroll or things more yeah. sort of like accounting-focused and administrative-focused, mm -hmm. it's it's much easier and it's much cheaper and more convenient to do Especially it. Especially if technology's made it easy exactly. for those to be delivered, then yeah, it doesn't make exactly. sense to, to pay extra money. And then, it. of course, you come into the whole security side of things mm -hmm. and, you know, you've got all of the information in one place. What happens if it gets hacked? Yeah. Well, you know, we can talk about that until tomorrow mm -hmm. because everything's unhackable until it gets hacked. So. Exactly. But, but again, you know, you can't live on the premise that, you know, I can't do this because mm -hmm. this might happen yeah. because you, you're not going to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I, I do think it, it really, it depends on the family. And I know I've been saying this about a hundred times and your audience is probably not going to like that no, very I th much. I but, think it's a really relevant point um, then, because it, there's a lot of, um, get on my high horse now. Um, but there's a lot of advice that's given to family businesses and to, to family wealth that that doesn't acknowledge the fact that each family is individual and it's kind of an off-the-shelf. This is the solution. There yeah. you go. Copy and paste. The, the best name practice right. myth. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I think it's a really valid point that's being mm. made that there's, there's no single solution for um, everyone out there. Yeah, and I think um, the the one. Um, the extra element that we do within um, our private office is um, we've recently started doing political consultancy. Okay. And I know that, again, I'm not going to be the most popular person for bringing up Brexit or, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> labor. But hopefully um, when we're going to be listening to this podcast months <laughs> away, we're not going to be concerned about any, any changes. Um, but we have, uh, we work with... Um, a leading political scientist professor and what we do with him um, is look at our clients wealth look at the different asset classes mm -hmm. um, look at you know potential impact potential um, policies that might be brought in and how those would impact the wealthy wow. And end up with almost like a matrix, if mm -hmm. you want to look at it like that, with, okay, asset class one, property, for example. Uh, these are the potential things that might happen, mm -hmm. and these are your options. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have clients who um, have been very keen on that, and they said, you know, I want to know if I need to move yeah. or if whatever, whatever it might be. fantastic addition, isn't it? Because it is such a... It's very timely. Particularly with things like Brexit. Um, here for our international um, audiences everywhere at the moment yes. um, for us here um, but being able to make decisions on an informed basis is part of the yes. almost the educational side of it as well and I think that's a another valid point is there's often a misconception that if you grow up into substantial wealth that you know everything about how that wealth is managed and what it all means and how it all whereas actually the opposite is is often very true that there's lots of parents who want to shield their children from that wealth so they don't feel as if it ruins them. There's others where it, it does create that sense of entitlement. Um, and, and so understanding and educating um, the next gen around that because some of the numbers are eye-watering in terms yes. of the, the wealth that they're going to have 
um, access to and yes. it's important that that's treated carefully. And I think, um, I think there is a lot of hope in that space because um, recently I've been seeing more and more families who take the view that actually I'm not just going to pass on the wealth straight away to my children. Um, what some of them do um, is they say, okay, I'm going to get them, uh, I'm going to give them enough money so they can um, get a house, mm -hmm. but after that they're on their own yeah. or give them a substantial amount of money, but not so sort of like in the region of half a million. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's your money, do what you want with it, get a small flat or whatever it is, but that's all you're going to get. Mm -hmm. And I think that's incredibly important because like you say, I think a lot of these children are going to end up spending all of the family wealth and we get into the whole boring and annoying statistic of uh, in three generations you yeah, lose your wealth. Absolutely. But this is exactly why, mm. because people don't, either they try to shield their children or I think in a lot of cases they think they're immortal. Yeah. Because the patriarch who set up his business is the business. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think that a time might come yeah. where, you know, actually he needs to think of passing down the wealth. Mm. And I know we see this all the time. Um, but unfortunately, it, it, it's, it's very, very yeah. common. But I do think there is a lot more being done in that space. And educating the next gen is a fantastic idea. And a lot of our clients are uh, talking to us about it. Mm -hmm. So we're doing anything from sort of like short seminars to just having conversations, just um, preparing um, some very brief understanding of finances, mm -hmm. how to manage them. Um, some of the families have now started having family policies as part of their governance. But sometimes, you know, just a small summary yeah. that says everybody has to have financial training. Okay. So be it as part of your degree uh -huh. or be it the course that you do, uh, you need to do that mm. to in order to have access to the family business in any way, shape or, or form. And that's a great idea. Any, I think at any level of um, wealth as well, because um, again, one of the misconceptions perhaps is that if you have substantial wealth, you're immune to the ruinous effects of overspending and what have you, because there's always going to be more. Yeah, there's examples mm. where that isn't the case. So. Yeah, and I think a lot of uh, families have kind of, the, the ones who try to protect their children from that, what they would do is they would set up structures. So for example, they'd set up a trust or mm -hmm. something like that and um, effectively place a large amount of their wealth there thinking, well, you know, that's just going to be in there. It's going to be um, drip fed to the children. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a problem. And then, you know, you end up in a situation where the children sue the trustees yeah. and you get into a lot of other troubles. So that's, that's not um, waterproof and, and, and nothing really yeah. is other than communicating, educating your children and getting those values in mm -hmm. early and allowing them to make informed decisions about their future and whether they want to continue the business or not, yeah. how they're going to administer the, the family. Um, the word legacy resonates a mm -hmm. lot with the children, interestingly yeah. enough, uh, more and more um, when I'm speaking to the next gen. Um, this is sort of like the buzzword that right, okay. they, they're starting to react to. Interesting. Yeah, which, which is very encouraging. And the, the interesting things are they like the idea of having a family legacy, uh -huh. But they also like the idea of improving it. Okay. So I had this lady who was, um, so she's, she's second generation and her parents set up this newspaper um, in, uh, in, in America. 
And um, what she wants to do is she's basically started taking that newsletter digital mm -hmm. and she had a lot of reluctance from the parents right. because they were like, well, you know, I don't really understand yeah. what that it's is. It's newfangled it, stuff. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, and she's made it really successful now. Uh, and, you know, she's happy. The parents are happy. She's had um, a, a really good childhood in terms of the education that she's received around the family mm -hmm. business. She's always been um, party to those conversations um, and she's been working in the family business since she was about 15, just helping out on things. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it goes to show that paying interest in your children from that age and instilling those values in them, those family values and teaching them quite how privileged they are and the fact that not everybody on the street is wealthy and mm -hmm. they should appreciate and make the most out of it yeah. and put it to good use. I think it's just invaluable. And do you have a view on how young that should start? Because there are some families who they incorporate children at all ages. There are others who say, well, we'll have a conversation at 16. No, I, th I think it should be ongoing. Right. Um, again, in, in my view, it's the sort of thing where when your kid comes back from school telling you how they, their day went, mm. you also tell them how your day went at yeah. work in, in the family business. And obviously those more formal conversations can start when they can discern what's going on yes. and, and have a, a bit more of an understanding. But I think it's never too early mm. to just have those conversations from, from like, uh, even in a joke type of yeah. context. So the way they, they play with their cars, you know, okay, but have you thought that, you know, this is what daddy does. Mm -hmm. Daddy produces those cars. Yeah. Let's assemble them. Let's put them together. This is what daddy does in their business. Uh -huh. It's incredible how, how um, that can get them into the family business. And again, yeah. sort of like transfer that passion almost, yes. and then they can make with it whatever they want. Mm. Because kids are really absorbent at, mm. at a young age as well, aren't they? They just take everything in anyway. So they're probably picking up on pretty much everything that's yes. going on around them. It's just then actually just normalizing that for them and explaining what it is that, that's going on that's yeah. the important bit. And I think the, the, the trick there is almost making sure that you give them all of the tools, you give them the right education, but you don't force them into things mm -hmm. because then they'll end up resenting you if yes. you do. So I've also had cases where um, I had the son in a business, the father has a tragic story, um, passes away in an accident, the son ends up having to take over the business right. um, because he never had the courage to say that that wasn't really what he wanted to do. Mm. And it, it's really sad. And even if in the short term he... Um, handles it well because he's trying to keep his mom, his wife, his sister, try to keep everybody calm. Yeah. Um, deep down, he never wanted to do that. Yeah. And, you it's know, a lot of pressure for him as yeah. well, isn't it, at that stage? Yeah. So, you know, that's why it's important to have those conversations around governance and succession planning. It's never too early to mm -hmm. plan. This is what I always say. Yep. Everybody should have a will. Everybody should plan on what they're going to do next. And mm -hmm. If you have a family office, they can take on that role for you. If you don't, you have the responsibility to do it. Mm -hmm. It's never too early to have those conversations. And the earlier you have them, the more you avoid predictable conflict and yep. stressful situations at the point in time when, you know, somebody passes away. You don't really want to think about mm. who's going to take over the business. Exactly. And there's, again, um, some people think that if they talk about it all, 
put a will in place, it means they're then going to die be- just because they've sorted it out. It's <laughs> easier not to, to do it. And it's, I don't think there's any correlation. There's yeah. no studies been done to no, show that. No, so. quite, quite. I know, and I think there are some cultures where uh, it's actually a complete taboo subject talking about, yeah. about death. Um, but, you know, un- unfortunately, it's, we are all mortal yes. um, and you, you never know. And I think there is no price that can be put on peace of mind. Mm-hmm. And for a father or a mother, for anybody who has children um, or has some wealth that they have a purpose for, they should have a plan for what's going to happen to yeah. it. And it's easy to get caught up in your day-to-day life and in your business and in what's going on. Um and not focus on sort of like the admin things, mm-hmm. the, the admin yeah. side of things. Because you can get to that another time. Yeah. But actually, it then becomes exactly. six months, a year, five years. And, and you never get get to do it. Yeah. Um, it was it was really funny. Uh, one of the uh, clients we used to work with, he um, was this um, entrepreneur in his 70s, had zero succession plans in place, right. had no intention to do it. Um, we spoke to him and he was very dismissive initially. I don't need that. I don't need that. It's fine. Well, what's going to happen if, if, you know, God forbid you're out of action for a period? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, nothing's going to happen. Well, my kids are going to be fine. You know, they, they, can, they, they, they can make their own money. Mm-hmm. Uh, about six months later, he reads an article in the newspaper about somebody in a not too dissimilar situation to his yeah. um, who passed away in an accident and that depressed the value of his shares in the yeah, family okay. business. And that was the, the chord that should have been struck with him. trigger point. Yeah, so that was his trigger. So then he picked up the phone and he said, right, I'm ready to talk about it. So uh, long story short, um, he was very concerned about um, security. Um, so he ended up with, uh, in terms of his will, he did agree to have a will mm-hmm. that was placed in a safe the code to the safe had six digits. I'm wow. not making this up, even though you know you might not believe that. Six digits. Um, three different individuals had two digits each, wow. and there was a crossword for the wife to solve to determine the order <laughs> to those three people to open that's the amazing. safe. Yeah. So uh, you know, obviously that's an extreme case, yeah, but, but a, a hacker is going to have to do pretty well to get into that. <laughs> the moral of the story is, if you're concerned about that, there are ways around yeah. it. Just deal with your, um, you know, your your succession plans wow. early. That's incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Fantastic. That still makes me laugh. <laughs> well, that that's been an absolutely brilliant um, insight into um, the sort of world of family offices and, and, and private office. Um, we tend to ask these two questions to all of our guests at the end of each um, show. Um, if you had one tip that you could pass on to family businesses, what would it be? Um, so this is really difficult because I've got so many, but uh-huh. if I'm going to condense it into one, it will have to be communication, communication, communication. Mm-hmm. I, I can't stress enough the importance. Um, we've had many, many situations where um, you, you get to the point after discussions with the family where you have w- w- mother saying, oh, this is what you, you thought? Well, this is what I thought. I just yeah. never got the chance to say it. And the daughter saying, well, you know, this is what I thought as well. We mm. never got to, to speak about it. And they both start crying and they realize, you know, they got to the point where they needed somebody independent and external to help. So 
were they to have those conversations a while back, mm -hmm. they never mm -hmm. would have got to that point. Yeah. Um, so it would have to be that coupled with the planning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And finally, um, how can audience find out some more about you? Um, so my details are on uh, our company's website and as you uh, very well know, uh, I am uh, very keen on LinkedIn. Uh -huh. So that's my main operating platform. Uh -huh. So, yep. Fantastic. And if you're happy, we'll put links in the show notes for people to um, find you. No problem um, at all. But finally, thank you very much for your time and your no, insights today. No, thank you. It's been fantastic. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fanbizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.